Hi, this is Natalie Lander, voice of Kinsey, Tara Branford, Stargirl, and many others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit W2Mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. All right, we are live with second game of three World Cup qualifiers with the U.S. once again drawing, well, at least it's 1-1 this time, against Canada. At home in Nashville. And well, guys, let's just get started right away. What is your headline from this game already, Rachel? You- I'm, I'm trying to stay calm because we are only two games in. But when you play in CONCACAF and we saw the laser pointers, we saw the pictures, hilarious pictures of Gio Reyna backing into the like police officers with the shields in El Salvador, it just makes all of the home matches so important. And they're like, I mean, they should be three points or bust. My headline is just how and why Greg Berhalter, aside from the substitution of DeAndre Yedlin because of Serginio Dust getting hurt in like the 42nd-ish minute, why he waited until the 83rd minute to make a substitute in the attacking half of the field. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's better than, two points is better than having no points. But, I mean, Honduras isn't going to be easy. That's not going to be an easy environment to go into and and play against. Um, And they're a good team. So, just mind-boggling that they didn't get three points in in Nashville tonight. Yeah. Well, I'm not too mind-boggled by, you know, considering what we saw against El Salvador. I wasn't expecting absolute difference in how we play because it's pretty much, what we've seen, whether it's you have bigger stars playing, it's a lot of what we saw at the Gold Cup as well. It's They had their little spurts, but most of the time it's, yeah, possession, but they don't do a whole lot with it. I mean, Canada did a great job of defending in that first half. Like, the whole point is Canada was just defending. They wanted to do things centrally. They couldn't. They were doing things to the backs and everything else, and they couldn't get through. And then, finally, it seems like things opened up in the second half a little bit. Um, I do think that they looked better going forward without Sergio Dust. Um, and he was sort of a liability defensively, too. It was like one of those, like, maybe that injury was happening a lot earlier than he started showing. And perhaps that was a an issue. But that was a major thing for me, too. Why are you waiting until the 83rd minute to put on three changes? Why not stagger them out from the 65th or something onward? I get it. You scored. You felt maybe good with that squad. Eric, I don't know. It's putting three on at one time and you got seven minutes to figure it out. Exactly. I mean, to quote how I put it on Twitter right after the final whistle, Canada beat the United States. It was simple as that. Tactically, yeah, we were decent. Canada did a great job, as you had mentioned, defensively with the 5-4-1. We tried all kinds of ways to break it down. Honestly, I know like with the substitute with Sergio Dest, you have the five subs, but you only have three windows. But as you said, maybe 65th, no later than the 70th minute, do a double switch. And then 75th, 80th minute, it's still if nothing's happening, which at that point it wasn't, do another double switch. Done. Not just go ahead, make a triple sub, and then you still leave one in your back pocket. I was a little confused. Yeah, now when you leave in the back pocket, you don't even actually end up using it at all because you wasted, you spent so much time waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're going to bring out Walker Zimmerman at the point where it doesn't matter at all to what, to try to see if you can get an extra 30 seconds or whatever. To, but that's the thing. 
if you would have brought him on a little bit earlier, maybe mm-hmm. there's play that's happening earlier. You're having to wait till desperation time and having to hope for a referee that it seemed like sometimes didn't really uh, grasp the concept of a foul and not a foul to, oh, well, let's hope he puts five or six minutes on the clock. It almost seemed like that's what we're hoping for. Oh, well, they've wasted a lot of time, so they're going to put five or six minutes on, so they're going to have a ton of time to start doing things, and then he puts on three minutes, and, oh, man, what do we do? That that bothered me, too. Eric, I mean, what did you think of your, of your headline from this game? It, it was just – it was very annoying because I said looking forward to this game, there would at least be a flurry of goals or something potential like that. Yes, 1-1 is better than nil-nil. Fantastic. But it was just another time of always wasted chances after wasted chances after wasted chances. Yes, you had that link up between Anthony Robinson and Aronson that led to the goal. Yes, Pulisic had some moments going in, but Canada was just confident in staying right there just like El Salvador was, except throwing more bodies back. And it's just, for every time that we had fixed something, like it was better in the midfield, then all of a sudden, everything was just vanished after that. I'm still confused, worried, and as I put it, like they had the headline after that big 2010 World Cup match, USA beat England 1-1. This was a case of Canada beat the US 1-1. I can't think of anything better. Yeah, man. Uh, I totally felt that at the end, even though, yes, you could say the U.S. had more chances. Yes, the U.S. had more shots on goal, all of that. It just, it screamed to me of still. Berhalter's, that was my headline for me is, I feel like some of this is on Greg Berhalter. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, the first game you could say that's, oh, they're young. They don't get it. I mean, they haven't, a lot of them haven't been there. Uh, having to deal with that crowd, everything else. Like, okay, give him a pass, right? Okay, you don't have Gio Arena for, in this game because of an injury. You're not going to have him in Honduras. You, but you do get Pulisic as a, as an interchange. You don't have McKinney because of a stupid team COVID violation. Why are you doing team COVID violations in important games? I have no idea why. And we'll never know. We'll probably never know the actual what he did wrong thing. But you know what? The fact that You've been down this road before. You did this for Juventus as well. I, I just don't get it. It's Especially with what's going on with other qualifiers around the world today. It's right in front of your face. Yeah. Berhalter just is too complacent with, I'm not going to make a change to the overall squad. Like, it's he's too worried about, okay, everybody I put on has to have an exact replacement for the person that I'm taking off. It's, let's not try to make a, a change so that, Whatever I do, we can push everybody forward or push. At that point, Canada's also not really going forward. No. Like, put on people that are going to uh, do something. I'm not, I have nothing against Josh Sarden. I think he's a really good player. I get it. You want to go with guys that you kind of trust in that moment. So, like, I get the rolled on push. I get the I, – I don't understand the, the putting on Conrad De La Fuente at that point. Why don't just go ahead and put both Sargent and Pepe up front and put – Pulisic, you know, behind him or something. Because that was my thing, too, is in the first half, it was so obvious that Christian Pulisic was way too wide. And he kept having to try to come central to actually be involved in the play. He never sees that and makes any kind of change to make you go, okay, he gets it. He understands what's missing. 
it still feels like, oh, we get it. We get the tactics. We get. He doesn't seem to want to be this kind of person of, I'm going to make a change on the fly and see what happens. It's, we're going to stick to what, what we're doing and that's it. And, you know, even, even like when you know, he got lucky that Alfonso Davies got hurt mm-hmm. because Alfonso Davies was absolutely blitzing DeAndre Yedlin the entire time until I think Tyler Adams by himself had to figure out, well, I'm going to have to go back there and cover DeAndre Yedlin because I'm the only one that can keep up with him at all. And then you saw that one time they had to go against him, Adams won the best of it. It's like, I don't know, it just bothers me that you have all this, you know, attacking talent. And especially when you need a goal, when you're in the pressure to, hey, you know you got to score, you don't just kind of push that all to the wind and say, you know what, Canada's not bothering. Why not? I mean, for something like this, as much as I liked and I talked about, you know, the 4-3 and all this and that, would it have killed to maybe go to even like a 4-3-1-2 or even a 3-4-1-2? As you said, with uh, Pulisic behind two strikers, would not have been bad at all. And especially with Canada still keeping with that 5-4-1 throughout the match, you were still going to have some numerical advantage. But no, here's where we are. I, I yeah. think one of the things that the game needed was an FU player. I'm going to get in your face. Like, there we, there wasn't any of that. There was a little bit with John Brooks just because he's, like, been here and stuff. But, like, I think that's what I missed most about Weston McKenney. You didn't have that kind of screw you CONCACAF energy. Like, that mm-hmm. all comes from Weston McKenney, but he made a stupid decision, which, shame on you. And another thing, too, is... I mean, I don't understand how Greg Berhalter looks at players' recent form and what they do in club mat or country matches and says, okay, I'm going to put Josh Sargent in instead of Ricardo Pepe. Like, if you don't play Pepe, you're going to chase him to the Mexican national team. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not cap tied. Just because he got called up doesn't mean he's cap tied. Yeah, he has to actually play in the game. Yeah, he has to play in a game. And if, you know, they're calling him up, calling him up, and he's not getting time. Mexico's going to be like, hey, door's open. I feel like he, I don't know about if he's going to lose in the Mexico or not. He seemed very, in in what he said, he felt like he was, he felt more in tune with how uh, Berhalter had talked to him and everything. But it does make you question, right? Like three games, and then you lose two midfield players, two very important midfield players. Yes, you get one back. And you can't play him for 10 minutes. This is why what I told Eric in the second game, this was the game to play him in. Yep. He's at home. Yep. He's he's in an environment he's played in many times with MLS. It doesn't make sense to, oh, well, now let's see if we can find a spot to trot him out there for five minutes against Honduras in a game where he doesn't have that international. And so you don't know what's going to be going on at that point. Hopefully you're not down 2-0 at that point. That's why you're having to put him on. It's just one of those where you kind of know what you have with Josh Sargent. That would have been the time. Let him be out there. See what he does for 10 minutes. Again, when especially Canada's not uh, not not pushing a whole lot at that point. But but I bet you that's the exact thing that Berhalter's going to try to do, if not potentially something worse. I wouldn't even be surprised if Berhalter doesn't put him on and forgets that he has to cap to. He's so focused on the whole... Well, we're not like Mexico. We're not gonna. We're not gonna just bring players up to cap time and then replay them again. We're gonna let them figure it out. 
right? We're gonna we're gonna wait to that moment. It's like I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play at all. I, I've said the same thing. It's either to me one of two extremes. It's either because of all this going on and your lack of offense and limited creativity that Pepe either for one way or another starts in San Pedro Sula, or like I mentioned off air, we don't see him at all this maybe in October. I don't see any way with Burhalter's action that it's going to be somewhere sensible. In I will say that I thought he did a good job in seeing what worked from the El Salvador game and trying to capitalize on that from the beginning. Uh, he started P-Folk instead of Sargent. Um, he, you know, he starts the line, like we said, of Adams and Acosta, which Adams was fantastic today. Of course, he had to bring in Pulisic. And he put Aronson up front, which we both talked about, Eric. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Aronson scores the goal. Great little uh, pass from Anthony Robinson, who I thought was another fantastic player, just bombing up and down from that uh, left side. He made a lot of things happen. He definitely needs on the radar as far as stop playing Sergio Dest out of position on the left side. Anthony Robinson needs to play, if possible, at all times on that left. I mean, I get it. You're having a rookie squad here because it's a lot of three players. But when you're you're looking at a guy that I think cements a position, I feel like Anthony Robinson is someone you need to look at instead of trying to play guys out of position somebody else on the right. I also felt like Sergio Dest doesn't do a great job of defending. Maybe Berhalter needs to figure out something where Dest is further up the field and you're going to play Yedlin or Reggie Cannon or somebody else behind him because... Yeah, because, I mean, even though we had that run, he went around, like, all those defenders, that's, as we talked about last time, that's really what he does. If you're going to do that and you have these issues in defense, you can't really have him as any sort of, like, inverted wing back or something, but maybe somehow midfield slightly deeper with that back behind him. That could work, so that way he could focus on emphasis in transition and beating defenders on the wing. He has the pace to be dangerous, mm-hmm. right? And he has the skills. We saw him do it a little bit. It's just he tries to do too many. He doesn't just, okay, I beat one guy. Now let's figure out what's the best decision. Oh, I'm going to go backwards now, and then he gets himself caught again. Instead of, I mean, I get it. He's still young. He's got to learn. That's those kind of things that, you hope he can learn of figure out the best time to take a player on and then make the best decision after that, not just continue to, uh, you know, play as if you're by yourself. There were some positive things as far as, again, when it got going, right? I felt like after the Aronson goal, because things opened up more, you you got to see some of that play. You got to see some of that interchange. It's crazy to think, Rachel, in the first 45 minutes, your best player was Sebastian Legette. I think it was just sitting back, kind of seeing what Canada was going to do, waiting to see what they looked like. I think the last time the U.S. played Canada, they didn't have Alfonso Davies. So that was kind of like a new um, element for them this time. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild when your best player in the the first 45 is Sebastian Legit. But I, I was extremely disappointed in DeAndre Edlin. I mean, he's not the young pup that we've seen, um, in the 2014 World Cup, but still, I mean, he's, I, I think he's a pretty good defender. And for him just to get smoked the whole game, that was kind of, that was kind of tough to see. Yeah. I mean, speed kills on that. I mean, like, Alfonso Davies just got owned him because he's so fast, so skilled as well. I mean, he, he was vital on that goal that Kyle Laren got, which I think part of that is 
on both Brooks and Miles Robinson to get caught ball watching. Nobody was around Kyle Lahren. Just taps it in. One of the easiest goals he's ever going to have because both guys are sitting there staring at Alfonso Davies. Dangerous play on that side after he smokes DeAndre Yedlin. And then nobody's there for that goal. And honestly, if Herdman had actually... I feel like Canada really had opportunities to win this game. Because Herdman seemed a little bit tippid and timid, he didn't take advantage of that because when he brings Tejon Buchanan on, he immediately is a huge factor. And he literally he just, almost it, scored it, the game-winning goal because John yeah. Brooks was on a yellow card and he was playing way yeah. too conservatively and he literally was just like, here, just dribble past me. Like, it was... Even then. Yeah, just don't just like, stop running and let him go in. Yeah. Not to mention, if you see, hey, wait a minute. Okay, we're not spreading them out as much. Hey, wait a minute. They're holding their shape a little bit differently. Hey, wait a minute. They're setting up some runs. Um, help something? Yeah, I mean, the problem is they can't really help because Robinson has to go forward to actually make the attack happen. So he gets caught out. A great pass into Buchanan, and then Buchanan does the rest of the work. I will say Brooks did enough to cut him off where he didn't really have a good look uh, because he had to just cross that thing in there and there was nobody there. If he really would have said, okay, guys, let's go for it, Buchanan could have really become a dangerous player for them in that last 10 minutes, and they could have probably tried to score and steal one in Nashville if they really wanted. I felt like Herman was... And just okay, let's let's pack it up and get the point. And they they really could have because they have the ability with Buchanan, and if they can get Davies and Buchanan on the same uh, playing at the same time, they can really really uh, dangerous most any team. Let's look at some positive, I guess, from this game. Number one, you didn't lose, right? So it's two points. Whereas in the last cycle, you're coming, you had two losses. So I guess that's two more points than you had before. I, I mean, who did you guys think like? Played well. There you go. I mentioned Robinson, but anybody else that you feel like, okay, definitely need to give him a look, especially for the next cycle? Oh, I mean, kind of interesting to say going alongside Rachel's tangent, but as much smack as we talked about legit and wondering why he's here, it's like, well, when everything was going down, he was either helped tracking back with a two-on-one in a sort of defending situation. Mm-hmm. Really joining Kulisic in the midfield, trying to keep things going. It's like, he reminded us today, yes, this is exactly why I'm still here. I mean, Tyler Adams, once again, uh, he wasn't the captain for this game, Pulisic was, but he did not uh, let him let that deter him at all. He was absolutely vital in tracking back and being a defender of all things. And also, he didn't necessarily have a, like, oh, okay, all these passes sprayed everywhere or whatever, but he was important in cutting off some attacks, everything else. I mean, that guy plays hard the whole 90 minutes. I mean, the way he just crowds attacking players, uh, something to marvel at because not all of the, uh, the defenders do that, you know, and this is a midfielder. If anything, Tyler Adams continues to prove why he deserves uh, the spot and all the plaudits that he gets. Anybody uh, for you, Rachel, that you feel like? Um, I've been a Matt Turner fan pretty much this whole time. I don't think the goal was his fault. I do think he oh, had a little bit of better positioning, but I, I still think, you know, obviously he, I think he's going to be the starter in the next game because Zach Steffen, although vaccinated, has COVID. But I think it's going to be a real toss-up for Bur- for Burhalter 
in October when he calls up because I unless injuries happen or anything, Stefan and Turner and probably Ethan Horvath are going to get called up. Sean Johnson is still kind of in the mix because he was brought in to replace Stefan, but I think those three are usually a lock. Horvath and um, Sean Johnson are kind of interchangeable. I like Turner, and I think he's got the starter qualities for the U.S. men's national team. And um, uh, Tim Ream forever. That's all I can say, Tim Ream forever. (laughs) Get him to a World Cup, damn it. Matt Turner definitely, for me, has proven that he deserves to play until he does something to prove that he should. Um, Like you said, the goal wasn't his fault. There's nothing he can do when he has no defense in front of him, and Kyle Aaron is going to pick his spot of where he's and then in everywhere else he was he came out at the right times and every time he came out I liked the fact that he assured with the ball he did not let that come out of his grasp it was he had it and he he knew what he wanted to do with it immediately um, it was really decisive yeah. and as Canada was coming through and pushing late that helped yeah exactly he knows what he wants to do I mean he's Greg Berhalter wants to, wants him to play out the back and he does that. Uh, he can throw the ball well as well because he does that really well. Knowing exactly who he wants to get it to to start the play again. I feel like Matt Turner, yeah, like you said, Rachel, Zach Stefan unfortunately has COVID, so there's not even a shot uh, that he's going to be replaced for the Honduras game. But I think going forward, now obviously Zach Stefan has the opportunity now if, if something ever happened, the decision that Manchester's depending on what happens with Mendy, uh, he may be thrust into a starting role at Manchester City. And if he plays well, then, you know, who knows? But New England Revolution are also leading the pack in an extraordinarily large way against everyone else in MLS. So for both club and country, Matt Turner is continuously showing out. And I think he needs to, to keep his spot until otherwise. <clears throat> I mean, I'm the rest of the squad was, I feel like people was decent holding the ball up or whatever, but he I don't feel like he got enough chances. Once again, it goes to show how, just like you saw with Alfonso Davies and uh, Buchanan for Canada, how important they are uh, to that team. It is absolutely a showpiece of why Christopher Lissich matters so much at State Men's National. He was a fighter the entire time. He wanted things to happen. You see it uh, on his face. He, he almost scored the goal that hit the post uh, early on. They missed him a lot, but Verhalter, I think, still needs to figure out what's the best spot for him in the U.S. Playing as a 3-3 three, three in Chelsea is a whole lot different than playing as in the United States. You have way different talent in front of you. You don't have Lukaku up there, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have Mason Mount and all the rest of the guys that are there that, you know, Pulisic has to fight with at Chelsea to get it starting at opportunity. This is a different class of, of team. And you don't have the veterans that Felicity has played, a, played with before. So I feel like you need to find a way to push him more into of a forward role, make him more more chances to have the ball at his feet. Because Canada found a way to really isolate him in the first half for the most part. Find a way to where he can't get double marked. That's something that Bert Halter is going to have to figure out going forward. I don't know if the Honduras game is that game to do it, but by the time you get to the next cycle, you need to realize this is the guy that you need that stirs the pot that gets everything. Absolutely. And again, you have like great ideas how you can put pieces together 
and try these alternate formations when this 4-3-3 isn't really working. I mean, yeah, you're going to try it one last time against Honduras, but come October, it's got to be something. With how it is, especially if you're keeping this relative to the same squad, it doesn't work. So again, maybe you see him playing as more of a true number 10, and you have a something-something with that 1-2 up top. Give him more chances at the ball. Have him push a little bit forward, or maybe as a front as some sort of maybe triangle if you're sticking with the 4-3, but ugh, tough decisions. Yeah, definitely, and a lot of tough decisions. Before we get um, looking at that next game, how should we feel about him? Is it, oh, well, they got a point, or it really is two points dropped? Do you feel like the U.S. played well enough to it really should have been two points dropped just because you're at home? Points dropped because it's at home, but at the same time, it's not like, oh, my God, it's two points dropped. It's it's two points dropped because there's still, like, a bunch of left. What do you think? Yeah, two points dropped. It's putting us, for the time being, after these games in fourth. So it's not, oh, two points dropped, sound the alarm bells like I did the last World Cup cycle. But it's two points dropped in that I'm raising eyebrows because we're going to end up having to get them from somewhere. We have opportunities as to where, but ah. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth because you feel like after they got things going that they really could have gone for that second goal. Uh, The one blemish for me for Tyler Adams was a stupid foul on Kay that ruined a really great (laughs) counterattack. The unnecessary shoulder barge that was never going to get there. If you would have just, you know, kind of shielded him out of the way, he would have never got there instant anyway. There was no need for that. You, you could have done more, especially in that first half when Canada was defending. Um, obviously, I think they, they were a little more cautious once Canada kind of equalized very quickly and they had to start being a bit more measured about what they did. I still feel like they need to figure out different ways they need to attack it it almost felt like in the first half it's like we can't do this centrally so what do we do and then in the second half oh okay we figured out let's let's put in the crosses so that was sort of working but then they couldn't get it to and then it was like okay we got to make some brilliant plays at and they did for you know it hurts but it's still two points dropped at home you got to win your home games of world cup qualifying um who knows maybe u.s surprises honduras and it wipes all of this away but that's you don't want to get to that point, Mm-mm. right? Because this is a really tough place to play. It's a place that doesn't matter which U.S. men's national team you're looking at, none of them do well there, right? So I mean, like, are you? What are you expecting? When we're going into San Pedro Sula, which, to be fair, Honduras didn't score at all against El Salvador. So ninety minutes of shit housing. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> say that. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> Because that's more riot shield, right? It's what it's it's what a shout out to my friend Ian Knighton for um teaching me uh CONCACAF slang, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's gonna be chaos and it's gonna be crazy, and there's gonna be lots of pushing and shoving and laser pointers and stuff being thrown at them. And I mean, it's I'm glad some of these guys have gotten their taste with the El Salvador match, but I mean, it's it's only gonna get crazier. And it's a nice build-up for that eventual day when you get to the Azteca and everything hits the fan. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's it's going to be crazy, but I'm oddly, I'm cautiously confident. I, I really 
there's going to be some major talking twos. I would love to see them win. I really hope I'm right. Yeah, I mean, Eric, like, that's the thing. Expecting a whole lot. I would not be surprised if another nil-nil there, whatever, and you're talking about three points from. You just got to hope you don't lose. But honestly, even though Honduras has some attacking talent that can scare you, especially on the counter, I have seen nothing these two games that Honduras has played that makes me feel like I'm scared of them, that that the U.S. can't go in there and nick a win. You, yeah. you haven't scored from the run of play at all. No, and their only goal has been from a penalty spot. And I am saying like this, even though, yes, Honduras, they're coming off of a huge match against El Salvador, a scoreless draw, a power outage, 20 minutes of second half stoppage time. I mean, that throws off anybody. Oh, yeah, it, it, it does. So it's like, okay, maybe this lines up for a nil-nil, maybe a surprise 1-0 U.S. win. I don't see anything much beyond that, but it could be almost a carbon copy of the El Salvador match. Same energy from the crowd, same sort of potentially listless play as uh, Honduras tries to throw their weight around a little bit. But beyond that, I mean, I don't know what else is there. Yeah, Honduras being at home. They may make a 1-0 win and then everything gets thrown into chaos, but if anybody scores, it's just going to be that. Nil-nil, most likely being that again. Definitely could be. Another one of those. You hope it's not, but definitely could be. Mexico still leaders of the group. They happen to nick a 1-0 win for Costa Rica, a penalty by Obilín Pineda in the 45th plus one minute in the first half. And uh, Tata Martino was not here for this game. He had an attached retina. He had to have surgery. Ooh. And you are facing one of the uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and Kaylor Navas. I think helps a lot uh, when you're when you're Costa Rica. But once again, Costa Rica doesn't score in another game. That that's I think something you have to look at if you're Luis Fernando Suarez for the uh, Costa Rica squad. That's two games that you do not score. And the first game, Panama. Of course, they're playing in Panama. Had all of the opportunities. It was an absolute Panama domination uh, in that game. Uh, they got really close. Costa Rica had several chances where they could have lost that game, uh, honestly. I mean, Mexico doing what they got to do, and that that's what you'd hope you'd see the U.S. do as well, and they're it's, uh, not doing that so far, um, which is uh, upsetting. But to be fair, maybe Mexico, Mexico have to play against a Jamaica that's missing 12 players. Uh, from there that usually are, we've seen in this before. They barely, well, Alexis Vega, or not, uh, Andy Martin had to score that 89th minute goal that uh, Andre Blake got a hand to, but it was too hard and went in. And, you know, Mexico scores with the, you know, uh, penalty uh, to beat Costa Rica here. Panama, absolutely. Again, I talk about Jamaica missing players. Panama jumped on that one three nil against scoring really early in the fifteenth minute and then scoring uh, several times after that. Uh Jamaica had some chances. I got to watch like a Senate highlights of this, but it wasn't a whole lot. It's still uh, Panama really putting force forward on this. You really hope by the next time you get to the next set of qualifiers that this is not a situation for these teams, because that really puts some of these teams in in peril. I mean, <laughs> you know, like Argentina, Brazil. I mean, Brazil's missing a ton of players. Let's not joke around about it. But they still have enough quality to 
win. But like I feel like this really affects the Uruguays. It affects the other teams behind them. It affects Jamaica. It affects I think Honduras only has like one player, but it affects other squads. And it's just like you really want this this COVID red list to not be a thing in the next qualifiers because you don't really want to see this be a thing for Jamaica to not be able to put out their best for six of these games. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of different factors at play in combination with the COVID red list and yeah. what happened in Argentina. Brazil would normally lead the news, but then you had what happened with Guinea and Morocco. So, yeah, you have we'll, definitely, we'll definitely talk about that stuff on, on Tuesday. But right now, Mexico leading the leading the pack right now with six. Panama right behind him with four. After their their win, we mentioned the El Salvador nil nil with Honduras. Uh, I mean, again, I'm still not uh, convinced by anything with her so far, and it seems like El Salvador, um, by looking at stats, El Salvador really had a lot in that game. Uh, to, they had the most, a lot of the possession and everything else. So who knows? Who knows if Honduras is kind of like waiting uh, to spring that surprise on the U.S. <laughs> you hope not, but. Yeah, I mean, right now, that's what things look at. You're, you're saying, okay, well, United States is in fifth behind Canada and Honduras uh, because I think uh, Canada on having scored a goal and Honduras as well. Canada and Honduras have more goals scored uh, than the U.S., which is why they're in front of them. But let's see. Let's see if uh, things can get rolling. Uh, a tough place to do it in San Pedro Sula there. But either way, you have made this mountain for yourself now with – these results, you have two points out of a possible six, and you're going into a really tough place to play with uh, a pitch that's usually really terrible, tough to move the ball on, and the crowd is right on top of you. I mean, it's it's not not ideal when you talk about that. So, guys, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Two points isn't entirely a World Cup qualifying Ace two games, three points still isn't. Just saying. Still isn't. And you only got three spots with 18. So, and you don't know what the former is going to be like for some of these teams going into October. So yeah, and you got to take those. With that playoff spot, you don't even know who you're playing. They haven't even announced which confederation being paired up against this time. So don't even think about relying on that. Yeah, you never want to rely on that. You never want to go in confident thinking that you're going to get that because uh, it's not a guarantee. Mm -mm. It's not a guarantee at all. You know, Mexico got very lucky that they played New Zealand in the one where they had to go, but U.S. may not get that opportunity. They may have to play the fourth place South American team or or um, or would it be the fifth place South American? No, for fifth I thought they have, South American yeah. team and also the fifth Asian. Yeah. It's not always a given. You go in there being too overconfident, and all it takes is you you mess it up and, and you don't uh, get in. And that would be the, I mean, I feel like that would almost be worse than not qualifying from the from the get go. Is not qualifying to the playoff. That would hurt even more. Very much like we saw with Italy, uh, you know, many you know in 2018. So it can happen. Very much could happen. Uh, the United States, if they're not careful. But hey, we got a lot of games to play. Another one on Wednesday. 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 Wednesday, correct. Uh, so until then, everybody, we will be back on Tuesday with our regular show, looking more at like the broader spectrum of international things. You know, I can already tell you that there is a big thing that FIFA is planning that we're going to be talking about as one of our topics. 
and also more scandalous things that we got to talk about because people cannot uh, understand this is 2021 and we don't need to be having terrible things happening in stadiums and moron. Uh, it's, and in the craziness that Eric talked about and alluded to with Brazil and Argentina, which, wow, what a spectacle that was to watch on television. But uh, And again, and I'll save this for Tuesday, that was the second craziest thing to yeah. happen in World Cup qualifying. Definitely. Um, so we'll get into all that on Tuesday. Of course, more games are happening, not just the CONCACAF. More games are happening on, I think, Wednesday and Thursday of that next week as well. Of course, we'll also be back, Eric and I, on Wednesday night. Uh, probably by the time y'all hear it, it's Thursday morning because I got edited. That's when y'all will uh, hear our show of U.S. and Honduras. And until then, everybody, we'll see you later. Peace.